in the book of Acts. And uh, we actually started with the disciples, and then we went to Jesus leaving the disciples, and then we transferred into uh, the beginning of Acts. We got one more message next week, and then uh, we're heading to the Old Testament. So that's where we're going next. But um, this morning, I had two choices. I either try to get like two weeks worth into one, or I make this one a little shorter. So don't hold me to it, but this one's supposed to be shorter. All right? Uh, and we're not going to look at a lot of verses, but um, we have gone, we've talked about Jesus leaving uh, in Acts 1. We've talked about how the disciples kind of picked up the thing and ran with it for a while. We've talked about how the gospel went to the Samaritans. We've been in the last couple of weeks talking about Saul, you know him as Paul, who came to Christ. Paul was a, uh, a devout Jew, uh, probably one of the top Jews in the day. And he's working his way up to become uh, really a master, a rabbi um, of the Jewish faith. And so one of the things that he does is he, in order to gain points in, the, in, in that Jewish world, he wanted to go persecute these people called people of the way. We know them as Christians, but back then they weren't called Christians. They were called uh, followers of the way. And so Paul goes to some of the higher-ups, the chief priests, and he says, look, give me a letter that... <clears throat> gives me permission to find these people of the way and wherever they are to arrest them, bring them all the way back to Jerusalem, we can try them. And if we need to put them to death, we'll put them to death. And so Saul sets out on this journey. And you know, we've talked about the last couple of weeks how uh, Jesus, light, blinding light, Jesus speaks to him and says, hey, look, you're fighting against me. Why are you doing that? And, and, and Saul comes to Jesus Christ and he puts his faith and trust in Christ. And you remember he was blind and he goes to Judas's house and then a guy by the name of Cornelius comes and um, he receives his sight. And that's where we pick up the story now. Now, here's the problem, okay? And this is why I want to spend a little time on this this morning and then we'll get to how it applies. We, in, in our thinking, in our reading of the Bible, think literally, uh, linear thinking. So when we read the Bible... We read it with the idea of this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And we forget that there's a time element involved. You know, for instance, if you were to ask me about this last month, I would give you a summary of the last month. But if you were to read that summary, you'd almost think it was like, okay, this happened and then, then the next day this happened, the next day this happened, the next day this happened. You wouldn't put it in the context of 30 days. And that's what happens often when we read the Bible. We forget, for, for instance, in the life of Jesus. When you read the stories of Jesus, okay, you have to understand his entire ministry was three years. A majority of the stories you read in the gospel take place in the last 18 months of his life. So, and, and sometimes you read those stories, and it's like, okay, he went here and then he did this, but there, there's a time element involved. And that's what we're going to find this morning with Paul and that becomes important for understanding the application that we want to go to today. So, with that in mind, when we left him off two weeks ago, he, was, he had just gotten his sight. He was in Damascus. And then here's where Acts chapter 9 picks up the story. It says, immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. <clears throat> so, right at the bat, he starts preaching this way. And notice what he says. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, is not he... He who destroyed those who called the name Jerusalem. And he's come here for that purpose. So he might bring them bound to the chief priest. They're skeptical. I mean, this guy comes to Christ and he starts preaching in the synagogues. And they're like, and, and think about it for a minute. 
okay? Um, think about it for a minute. If uh, You see this, by the way, in the world of politics. When you watch somebody change parties, do you watch the other party go, yay, they're on our side, okay, just tell us everything. No, no, they step back and go, oh, what's going on here? Um, you know, should we trust them? Is this a ploy? Well, if you've been persecuting Christians and all of a sudden now you say, hey, I'm one of you, let me come and talk to you, eh, there's going to be a little skepticism there. Okay? And, and so what you see is you see Paul right off the bat starting to do some of that kind of thing. Um, and notice what, but here's what you, go to the next passage, Josh. Um, this is in uh, Galatians. Because when we read the passage, we get the idea that all of this happened, and then the next passage says he goes to Jerusalem. And we don't understand there's a gap here. There's actually a gap between 22 and 23 of almost three years. Okay? And Galatians gives us some insight to that. Uh, and here's what it says. But when it pleased God who separated... This is Paul speaking to the people at Galatia. When it pleased God who separated from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul said, when I became a Christian, when I came to understand that this is what, how God wanted to use me, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He said, first thing you need to understand, I didn't go to other people and learn everything that I learned. He said, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He said, I didn't run to Jerusalem and say, okay, guys, tell me what I need to do now as a, a follower of the way. Notice what he says. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He said, you need to understand that my Christian growth was not the result of somebody else telling me what I should believe. But that I took time after I became a Christian, I took three years, I went to Arabia, and there's some debate here among Bible scholars. Did Paul go to Arabia as, as, as a learning thing, or did Paul go to Arabia as a ministry thing? I think he can do both. He went to Arabia, went apart, he learned, because again, you, you have to understand what had happened to this guy. And he said, I'm going to learn everything that I can before I go back to minister. So Paul spends some time. Now, we, we lose this, so let me try to put this in, in, in the context and give you an understanding maybe of the mind of Paul a little bit. Think about this for a minute. You're a Jew, and you want to be the best Jew possible. So you go to all the higher learning places. You study at the feet of Gamaliel. You work your way up to eventually be called a rabbi. You actually go to the, the chief priests in order to gain brownie points and say, look, let me go after people of the way. I am such a devout Jew. They're hurting the Jewish faith. Let's get rid of them. Let me arrest them. Let me bring them back. You put them to trial. If we need to kill them, let's kill them. I want to be a good Jew. At this point, in his training, you need to understand, the apostles, or Saul, who you're going to, later is going to become Paul, Saul would have memorized most if not all, of the Old Testament. So, do you know what Habakkuk 1.3 says? He did. Okay. Um, you know, do you know what Malachi 2.4 says? No, he did. Okay, now they didn't have chapters or verses, but he knew the passages. I mean, this is a guy who knew his stuff. 
In fact, he had probably also learned and memorized the teachings of the rabbis. So he knew what all the rabbis were teaching. So you're going along, and all of a sudden, you're going to, you get permission to go kill, kill people of the way, Christian. You're on your way, and all of a sudden, a light shows down from heaven, a voice from heaven, Jesus Christ looking at you going, Hey, why are you fighting me? And for the first time in your life, you realize you've chosen the wrong side. Everything you knew has been turned upside down. You're now blind. You get your buddies to lead you to, to Judas's house. You get to Judas's house, and you've got to sit there and wait for a guy by the name of Cornelius to come along, who then lays his hands on you, and you see again for the first time in three days. And now, all of a sudden, you have to process undoing a lifetime of learning it all from a Jewish perspective. So there's some serious soul-searching that goes on here. There's some serious struggling for three years of, okay, God, what does this mean, and how does this apply, and what does this all do, and da 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 So he comes to the end of that time. He heads back to Damascus. Now, here's a question. You know God's called you. I mean, Cornelius has told you about that. God's revealed himself to you. You've learned and grown for three years. You're ready to take the world on for Jesus Christ. You're all excited about going and letting God use you. And what happens? Go back to Acts now. Acts chapter 9 and notice what it says. Immediately it preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Again, he's been gone for three years. He comes back and everybody says, hey... Saul is in town. Let's invite him to come to church. Let's synagogue. Let's have him speak at the synagogue. And he stands up and he starts reading or quoting from Isaiah 53. And he says, oh, by the way, this is talking about Jesus, the son of God, Christ, the son of God. And it's like, whoa, no, 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 time out. We're Jewish. We don't want any of that Christ, people of the way stuff. And they become irate with him to the point that they want to kill him. And notice what happens. It says, um, is this not he who destroyed all those who called on his name to come here for this purpose? Oh, wait a minute. Jump to the next one. Oh, what happened? There we go. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through a wall in a large basket. In other words, he's got to run as a coward from the city for following Christ. Now, what's interesting is when you get the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this event. In fact, when Paul talks about it, he talks about it as one of the great events of his life. And here's what he says. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians uh, 11, I think it is. Um, in Damascus, the governor, under Artics the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped from his hands. A lot of people believe that while Paul was in Arabia, he made some enemies. Some of those enemies had political ties to the rulers in Damascus. So what the insight we get from Corinthians is this. Not only were the Jewish people trying to kill him, the leadership, the government was trying to kill him. The government actually set guards to say, look, if he goes, tries to get out of the city or into the city, take him out. This was a shoot-to-kill order. Christians, or the Jewish people, are going, take him out. 
We can't have this. We're going to put it into it. Now, this is the irony of this. Paul, Saul, who was going about to kill Christians, now becomes a Christian, and what happens? They're trying to kill him. So the disciples have to let him down in a basket outside a wall, and he has to jump down and take off running away from the city. There's a question. If you're Saul at this point, what are you thinking? I mean, what are you thinking? Is this what you signed up for? Is this the way you thought it was going to be? I mean, what's going through your head at this point? If you're Saul, all of a sudden now, you knew God had put his hand on you and God was going to use you and you've spent three years preparing and you come back and you start preaching and the next thing you know, you're running like a coward from a city? I mean, is that really? Is that really what God had for me here? That's the story. Now, I want to talk about a couple applications for us, and, and then I'm done. Here's the, here's the first one. You're responsible for your Christian growth. See, Paul made it very, very clear that in, I didn't go and depend on everybody else to teach me what I needed to learn. I spent time on my own with God growing. I spent time learning what I needed to learn. As an American, in 2017, you and I have more resources available to us for Christian growth than ever in the entire history of the world. You and I, can, we can punch an app on our phone and have somebody read the Bible to us while we're driving down the road. We, can, we, can, we, we, we have a Bible in, not just a Bible, but we have Bible in different languages with study helps. If you're a reader, there's a ton of books out there to read to help you grow. If you're, a, if you're a, like me, if you're a verbal learner, you can listen to all kinds of... They have radio stations that are nothing but 24-hour Christian preachers. If you're a music person, there's all kinds of music out there to teach you. Um, if you're a video person, we have video channels dedicated to one type of speaker. I mean, there's no reason for us in 2017 to not be growing on our own. But you see, here's the thing. It's your responsibility to grow. And that's what Paul said. He said, look, I didn't pick this up. I didn't go, I'm not telling you what everybody else told me to tell you. I'm telling you what I learned from God. I'm telling you what God has impressed on my heart. I'm telling you how I wrestled through it. <laughs> I watch this all the time play out. I see two main types of people that, that I deal with as far as the Christian world goes. There's one type of person that takes their growth seriously and they try to grow. And, and so when things are going well, they, they're still learning stuff and coming to church and growing and, 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 and listening to stuff and, and starting to build up their Christian growth. And when a crisis comes, they have all of that to fall back on. So what I found is they actually handle the crises or situations or things like that a whole lot smoother than the other group of people. The other group of people, they don't take Christian growth seriously. They just kind of do the minimal amount. And what happens for them is a crisis comes and they try to play catch up. And they don't understand why the Christian thing isn't working for them, but they watch it work for other people. 
because they played catch-up. It'd be like me coming to my wife and going, hey, honey, I decided I want to enter a half marathon. That's like, what, 13.1? How many miles is that? 13.1 miles? Yeah, i got to ask somebody who knows. Um, so I got no clue. My wife goes, really? Oh, that's awesome. So you're going to get in shape to do a 13.1-mile run thing? And I go, yeah, I am. When is it? Saturday. <laughs> and my wife's going to look at me and go, there is no way in six days you can get ready. You who don't run are going to run 13.1 miles six days from now. You, you, you will die. Why? Because that is so unrealistic to do. Is it impossible? No. Is it improbable? Yes. Why? Because you don't do that. And yet that's what I watch happen. I watch people, I watch people not spend time on growth when, when things are okay. And then all of a sudden when those difficult big situations come up, they don't have anything to fall back on. Now what if I was running five miles every day? And I came to my wife and said, hey, look, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try to enter. I'm, I don't think you'd do it at five miles a day, personally. But, you know, um, if I, you know I'm going to try to increase it up to, you know, I just want to finish and that kind of thing. Maybe. What if I was running 10, 12 miles a day? That's well, doable. What if I was running 15 miles a day? I can't even consider that in my head. Um, that, you know, um, but then it's doable. You follow what I'm saying? And that's what I see so often. And this is it. Paul says, I'm going to be responsible for my own spiritual growth. I'm going to step back. I'm going to take three years. I'm going to process all of this stuff. Okay? And, and that's so important for us. By the way, you want to know the best time to work on your marriage? When you don't need to work on your marriage. See? I see the same thing in marriage. I watch people all of a sudden, they come to a crisis, and it's like, oh, no, 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 what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Preacher, can you help us? Yeah, I can come and help you, but we're playing catch-up, folks. You know, you brought me in, you brought me in when the pile of problems is this deep, and you want them all solved tomorrow, or today, or tonight. And one of the questions I've learned to ask is, how long has this been going on? Oh, we've been at this for like two years now. And this is the first I know of it? I mean, one of the things I do is try to bring people down to reality and go, look, you've had this problem for two years. You think we're going to solve it in two or three counseling sessions? Really? You know, I explain, it's like a big plate of spaghetti. And what we got to do is pull out one strand at a time and deal with it. Then we got to go to the next strand. And then we got to go to the next strand. You know what's a whole lot easier? If when everything's going good, this little strand comes up and you deal with it. So much easier. In your marriage, so much easier in, 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 in life in the Christian growth thing. But you're responsible for it. Here's the second issue. It takes some time. The Apostle Paul, with all of his knowledge of the Old Testament, still spent three years. See? And that, that, that's what I see so often in people's lives is they don't understand that spiritual growth is a, is a time thing. It, it involves time. You know, I have people look at uh, my wife and I and go, you know, well, you guys got a great marriage. You don't understand. No, no, then you don't know my story. Because there's a time it wasn't so great. But through 25 years of work, of working on what I messed up for the first six or seven years, and trying to undo all of that, it, it has played itself out now that the tables have turned. But it involved a lot of time. 
to get where we are today. It involved a lot of commitment. It involved a lot of money. It involved a lot of heartbreak. It involved a lot of work. It, it, it's a time process. And some of you, that's what happens. You're looking at other people's lives. You're going, well, I, you know, it's not, you know, it works for them. doesn't work for me. That's because you've got to give it some time here. If you're in high school or if you're heading off to college, I want you to listen to me really, really carefully here on what I'm going to say. There's a time element involved. And God honoring good decisions. See, what happens to a lot of teenagers, it's kind of what Chris talked about this morning. What happened to a lot of teenagers is they head off to college. And they watch kids make bad decisions and get rewarded for it. They watch kids cheat on tests and still get an A in the class. They watch kids go out and drink all night and then come in the next day and go and pass the test or get through the class, and yet they spent the whole night studying their brains out. And so a lot of them sit back, and it's easy for you to step back and go, well, that just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It, it's because you're not realizing the payoff is long-term, not short-term. The payoff for spiritual growth comes over the long haul. See, I've been at this thing over 30 years. So I watched the kids who did that kind of stuff in high school and college, and I know what it paid off 20 years down the line. I watched the kids who didn't have the moral standards at 15, 16, 17, 18. And they were the ones that are out doing everything and, and, and having all good time and talking about it and bragging about it and making the good kids feel bad because they weren't doing that. And then I've watched the good kids say, you know what, I'm just going to stick with it. And I've watched it pay off. And I've watched down the line. I see this a lot in the alcohol thing, which is just rampant among our kids today. And I watch kids not understand that at 15, 16, 17 years old, they're, they're conditioning, they're, they're, they're pickling their brain, so to speak. And by the time they're 28, they're so tied up into the alcohol thing that it starts ruining their lives because they don't realize they programmed their brain way back there. And then it becomes a lifelong struggle. Whereas I watch the other kids say, you know what, I'm going to hold my standard. I'm going to keep my standard where it is, and I'm going to do what's right. And by the time they're 28, 29, 30, 40 years old, guess what? They don't struggle with it like all of their buddies do. I watch, I, I watch it play out. Kids, here, here's the way I would say to you, write it down somewhere. Do the hard thing now, life will get easier. You do the easy thing now, life will get harder. That's the way it plays out in the real world. You go ahead and study your brains out, and here's what you're going to find. 10, 15, 20 years down the line when you're in your career and all of a sudden they throw you a big project and you have to figure out how to do it, you will know how to do it. Those kids that partied their way through it will struggle. They'll be coming to you going, can you help me with this? At which point? you are faced with a Christian dilemma. Do I help them or do I let them reap the consequences of their choices? It takes time. And you won't see the results immediately. Sometimes you do, but most of the time you don't. You know, parents of little kids or young kids, listen to me right now. What you do now has an impact down the line. 
Because what you will find is, the older you get, the harder it is to change. I watch, well, I'm going to talk to grandparents too. I watch grandparents and parents make this mistake. And they laugh at things they shouldn't be laughing at. And it might be funny when they're two. But it'll break your heart when they're 14 and 15. And I've watched grandparents. Oh, you don't understand. As a grandparent, I have the right to do, I have the right to spoil them. No, you don't. They're not yours. And if mom or dad say, no, this is not what we want you to do, then you know what? Then you don't do it. Doesn't matter if you think they're right or wrong. They are, you know, yeah, yeah. okay, uh, uh, <laughs> say, yee. I'm going to need a place to eat this afternoon. Uh, no, no. I mean, but really, you know, it's one of those things. And I struggle with it too, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, why can't, you know, I don't understand why Claire can't drink pop. Um, <laughs> I saw a deal this week. It's a hoot. I should post it if I could find it again. But it was actual ads, and one of the ads was for giving your children pop at like two so that they can get so that they can enjoy it by the time they're older. It was actually an ad saying, you need to do this. Um, times change, you know. Uh, I'm not saying we need to do it now, but you get what I'm saying? There's a time element ball. And, and here's the last thing that you see in Paul in this story. Things don't always go the way you think they're going to go. See, I'm sure if you were the Apostle Paul, and you're sitting in Arabia, and you're getting all prepared for your ministry, and you're heading off to Damascus, and then later to Jerusalem, you're thinking, okay, good, God, you've taught me, and I'm ready to go, and we're going to turn the world upside down for Jesus, and, and, and we get there, and the next thing you know, and they're putting you in a basket, hauling you outside the city, and you're running away like a coward because somebody wants to kill you. You see... One of the things that, that you have to understand is your expectations are very, very important. One of the things I always deal with, with if, I, if I'm marrying a couple who has never been married, the, one of the bigger issues that we start out with right off the bat is unrealistic expectations. When I have a couple look at me and go, oh, no, no, you see, they're my soulmate. We're not going to have any problems. Yeah, that's what I, I try not to laugh. It's really hard, you know. Oh, no, no, we're one with the universe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, it's that unrealistic expectation of, you know, well, marriage is going to be this wonderful, blissful thing way, 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 way up here. And I'm, I'm like, man, you are on another planet, man. You are missing the boat. And I have to try to find areas to I actually tell them, my goal is to get you to fight. I want to come up with an issue that you get that you just are polar opposites on, so that you understand that that's the reality of it. Is that there are issues you're not going to see eye to eye on, and you have to figure out. You know, or what scares the life of me is when I have a couple that looks at me and goes, "Oh, we never fight about anything," and I'm like, "Oh, there's coming a day." So you better learn how to deal with stuff. You better learn how to have conflict resolution. And I see it so often, and, and, and I see it in the Christian world, where I see people, they get, this, they get this narrow little idea that, as an example, bad things should never happen to good people. So they look at everything in their life, bad things shouldn't happen to good people. I'm a good person, nothing bad should happen to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is this happening to me? Does God love me? God doesn't care about me. 
God doesn't know what's going on. Why? Because they, they've got this small, little bitty idea. And yet, I look at it and I go, well, if Job had that idea, he would have given up on God really quick. If Paul had that idea, he would have thrown in the towel. Noah, he would have abandoned God after about day three of building the ark. I mean, if that's your view of God, what has to happen is what? You have to have a realistic idea of, of God and what's going on. And things don't go out, go plan like you think they're going to play. You know, I think about my own journey. You know, I never would have picked this for me. Ever. Ever. No way. And people who knew me before, no. I mean, my idea was blacktop your yard, paint it green, and you never have to mess with grass again. I mean, my idea of my idea was, you know what? I mean, uh, and to have an acreage that you have to take care of, you've got to be kidding me. Why would anybody in their right mind do that? Why would anybody live in a country where you can't go to McDonald's three minutes away? Why would, you, why would you have to have two freezers? You know? I mean, I, my world was so far removed from this. And yet it's funny because I have a buddy of mine graduated from high school and college with, and he had been a pastor for about 20-some odd years, and he changed churches. He left the church he was at, and he took another church. And so my wife and I were talking about it. And she said, and so she said, well, just out of curiosity, she said, what kind of church would you go to if you had to change? I mean, if we went to a different church, what kind of church would it be? If you got to pick it all out, what would you pick? She said, you know, would you pick like a bigger church? You know what I told her? This is how far God takes you in a journey. I said, I'd actually find a little small one again, like 40 or 50 people. Start it all over. Do it all again. <laughs> and I said, the words were coming out of my mouth. I'm thinking, who are you? But yet, it's because God took me on a journey that I never imagined, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And if I had to go back, I'd, I'd pick the route this time. And Saul, Paul would say the same thing. That's why when you get to the book of 2 Corinthians, he talks about it as one of the great events of his life. Not as a thing about, you know, no, God couldn't, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Life's not going to go the way you think it will. But God's in control. He's got a bigger plan. Sometimes things happen because of the choices of others. Sometimes things happen in your life because of your choices. Sometimes things happen because of God's plan. And God says, we're going to go this route. And ultimately, everything that comes into it has not taken him by surprise. So he can use it. He can use it. And he won't use it unless, like, say, you read this story, it's like, I mean, how in the world are you going to use this? I'm running. I'm in a basket hanging over a wall. And I was like this far from the top of being one of the best Jews around. And yet this guy's going to sign up for being beaten, being stoned, being persecuted, going through all kinds of things because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And God uses him, and you and I are the recipients of it today. Because we pick up a Bible and we read, I think it's like 17 of the books in the New Testament have been written by Paul. We're a recipient of that today. Because God had a better plan for him. And he does for you as well. So, I end it with this. Things in your life may not go as you planned. 
But God can use everything to His purposes if you allow Him. Spiritual growth is going to take time. And it's a process that requires a long-term commitment from you. God requires that we be faithful to that process. So let Him use you. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, things have come into our lives that we didn't plan, that we didn't want. And sometimes, Lord, we just stand back perplexed over. Yet, Lord, we know that in every one of those situations, Lord, you can use it to further your word and your kingdom. So, Lord, we just need to know how to respond in a proper way. Lord, for those who are growing, for those who want to grow, would you help them to take the initiative on their own, Lord, to start learning and, and, and reading and listening and seeking you, Lord, on their own. And, Lord, for those who are in the middle of that process and are a little frustrated because things aren't happening quick enough, would you help them to understand, Lord, that it is line upon line, precept upon precept. It is principle upon principle, and that, Lord, over time, you will bring us to where we need to be. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand, and we're going to sing uh, 435. Let's sing the first verse.